but I grew up in a family of 10 kids. And contrary to popular questions or frequently asked questions, no, we didn't grow up Mormon. No, we didn't grow up Catholic. (laughs) You'd be surprised how often I was asked that growing up. But one thing was true. It certainly made our Thanksgiving dinners an event, kind of a marathon. Uh, I just remember every year my mom would rope-a-dope all 10 of us into doing some kind of activity, whether it was preparing some dishes, whether it was cleaning dishes, setting the table, cleaning the house. Like, it was an all-family affair. And sometimes I just wondered why I couldn't just sit and watch the Macy's Parade in my PJs eating bonbons. But as I grew older, I realized that my mom couldn't do everything. She couldn't cook the turkey by herself. She couldn't cook all of the sides. She couldn't prepare the table for herself. She couldn't, or for us, she couldn't do all of these things by herself. And so it was a family event where everyone pitched in. Everyone had a role to accomplish this, this meal. And so I'm sure it's the same in your family. One person can't do everything. But today we have the opportunity as a church to celebrate a Thanksgiving meal with one another. It's an opportunity for us to connect with one another, an opportunity for us to share a meal with one another, and even an opportunity for us to get to know someone who we see or recognize on a Sunday morning. Now just imagine how difficult that would be if all of that responsibility was put on one or two people. Like, this is a a huge task for me just leading up to the family meal. Like, I have to figure out who's cooking the turkeys. It's important. We don't have facilities here. We're set up in Teardown Church, so I have to outsource that. So I always have to ask the question, who's cooking the turkeys? I have to ask the question, what food will be there for everybody else? I have to ask the question, what equipment do we need? Forks, Uh, napkins, plates, like these are all small things, but if we don't have plates and forks, we can't really eat with our hands. We also have to ask the question, who's setting up, who's tearing down, who's cleaning up? Like, there's a, it's a big task. Just imagine that falling on one or two people. It'd be impossible, right? It'd be just a complete disaster. The person would be responsible to turn the entire seasons around in half an hour. Like, it wouldn't work. But sometimes we look at church the same way, where one or two people are expected to do everything. See, here's the thing. The church doesn't happen when one or two people are doing everything. Church happens when everyone comes in together to, to help with this. We need to recognize that that real church happens, as Pastor Kevin said a couple weeks ago, that real church happens when everyone participates with their gifts, meaning that everyone has a gift. Everyone has a, a role at Restoration Church. We're not cogs in the machine making it work. We are family members who play a role in, in loving and serving one another. And as we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks that We've been gifted for love and looking at how these gifts work and interact in the church. We have to recognize that real church happens because you are loving the person next to you. Just a quick thought experiment. If I have the gift of mercy and you need the gift of mercy and I'm not using that gift, 
I am depriving you of your spiritual need. Conversely, if you have the gift of mercy and you are not using that gift, you are depriving the person next to you of that. We see that just throughout Scripture. We see that we are to use our gifts not for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. There's great beauty in that. And so, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Kevin just gave a general definition of what the gifts are. It was fourfold. He said, they are given by God. They are unique. Every believer has one. And then this is, this is crucial. They are for the common good or for the building of the church and for the mission of God. So again, these gifts are not for my benefit. They are for your benefit. As we exercise, as we use them in the church, the church grows in love, the church grows in unity, and then through that, we grow to maturity in our faith. And then you see that in all of the gifts. But I want to just say that today is going to be a little bit different than a normal Sunday morning. Normally, we will go and work through one particular passage, but today, we're, as you saw, we have three different passages that we're looking at, three different just gifting lists, and if you notice, it was just a lot of lists, not a whole lot of just things to hang on. So today is going to be a little bit different as we are looking at these. And as we look at the three gift lists, there are 22 unique gifts in those lists. That's a lot. And I'll just say I can't cover all of them today just for the sake of time. Um, but what I have done is just to help see how they're used, I've broken them into four categories. And let me just say, you can go on and you can look categories of the, of the spiritual gifts, and you're going to find everyone has a different way to categorize them. Let me just cue you into a little secret here. There's no special way on these categories. They're just complete man-made categories on, on seeing how the Holy Spirit works. But what we do see that spiritual gifts fit the purpose of growing the church and they are, grow they are used for the purpose of reaching the lost with the mission of God. So, as Kevin's already said, that we've been gifted for love and love is the point of our spiritual gifts. So if that's the point, then two questions surface. First question is, what is my spiritual gift? I'm sure this is a, it's, it's a good question and I'm sure many of you have asked it in so many different ways but not only should we ask, what is my gift? We need to ask the question, how do I use this gift to love others? And we need to ask that question because we are members of the family of God. We are brothers and we are sisters in Christ. And so we need to ask this question because we are looking for the benefit of the person next to us. So as we look at these four categories, we're going to start with our, uh, the, the ministering gifts. And it's how the Holy Spirit works in and through a believer to meet the relational and physical needs of a community. So in this category, you're going to find six specific gifts. You're going to find administration. You're going to find leadership. You're going to find encouragement. You're going to find giving, mercy, and then lastly, serving. So the, we're first going to look at the, the gift of administration and leadership. I've combined them together because there's a lot of similarities, but there's also some differences. And we find in 1 Corinthians, it says, and God has appointed in the church administrating. And then in Romans 12, having gifts that defer, let us use them. The one who leads 
with zeal. So what does this look like? It comes from the Greek word uh, kubernesis, and it literally means to steer or to guide a ship. And so for administration, the, it's the ability to help steer the church through planning, through organization, through uh, just getting things organized. So as I've already said, I'm the administrative director here at Restoration Church. And so what you don't see is Pastor Kevin will often task me with various different projects, research projects, um, just uh, organization or just all sorts of different things. And let me say, just as an administrator, I have a lot of spreadsheets running. Not only do I have, well, I, I just have so many spreadsheets, my spreadsheets have spreadsheets. But this is just a way to stay organized with details, with facts, and just what, are, what is our mission. And so two and a half years ago, I was brought on specifically to help Restoration stay organized. If any of you have noticed anything, you organize a closet or you organize your home, and then you turn around and it's disorganized. Am I right? Organization doesn't happen naturally. You, it needs thoughtful consideration. It needs someone to, to put things in order. And the same is true for a church. People need to organize ministry. People need to organize people so we know what we're doing. And let me just say, someone can fill the position, but the, gift, the, role, the position, the role doesn't bring the gifting. And also what we see is that sometimes people recognize gifts in us that we don't recognize for ourselves. For instance, when I was looking at the job description for the administrative director here at Restoration, my thoughts, my words were, man, this isn't me at all. And my wife read it and had a completely opposite reaction, and she said, this is totally you. <laughs> and let me say, after two years of being here, my wife was proven right. And for any of you who are married or are thinking about getting married, let me just give you one piece of advice here. Your wife is almost always right. <laughs> um, and so what we also see is just the gift of leadership, and I want to briefly look at that. So the definition here is it sets the course, the vision to accomplish God-given goals. While administration and leadership are similar, there are some key differences. If administration steers the ship, well, kind of like, like a car, the, the leadership sets the goal. They chart the, the, the course. They, they are setting the vision for it. Another key difference is that while administration is primarily task-oriented, leadership is people-oriented. And so they were basically two sides to the same coin, not in competition with each other, but they complement each other. Just as an example, or I should say one of the reasons why Pastor Kevin and I work well together is he sets the course and I kind of steer the ship. I help steer the ship. It's also kind of what he will say. He'll like, hey, Jake, let's go to lunch. And so he sets the course and I figure out how do we get there? What time is it? And when, when, where do we go? So I figure out those details. But if you are gifted in the gift of administration, you may uh, look at needs in the church and how can I organize the church? How can I organize specific areas of ministry? 
How can I bring structure to some of these areas of ministry? How can I help bring direction? And so these are just things to think about. And it doesn't matter what area of ministry it is, every area of ministry needs organization, needs planning, needs administration. If you've been gifted to lead, it may look like you are dreaming big, that you have huge visions for the future of where these ministries could go or where the people in this ministry could go, and you're able to chart the course for these specific areas of ministries. Next up is our gift of encouragement. And so we see having gifts that defer, let us use them. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. Now let me just say, exhortation and encouragement, they are the, they're the same gift. Exhortation will probably be a little bit harder word. Encouragement will probably be a little bit more comforting word, but they are the same gifting. So what does this look like? Is the ability to comfort and encourage someone in difficulty. You see, the Holy Spirit gifts people with the gift of encouragement for the sole reason that life is complicated. Life is messy. Life is broken. Sometimes our relationships are, are crumbling around us, and so the Holy Spirit gifts people to encourage us. Not just encourage us and make us feel good, but encouragement points us to who Christ is, who is our complete and total comforter. And so we need people with the gift of encouragement to, to encourage us in our faith. As an example, we have a gal, many folks actually, but one gal in particular who has the gift of encouragement. And I just love how her words, her presence brings life. One of the things that she does is she constantly brings the conversation back to Christ. And she points to his work present in our lives. One of the things that I have just have loved over the last two years, like almost every week she is consistent in writing just a note of encouragement on her connection card as she puts it in the, in the offering. And sometimes, you know, set up and tear down church. It's, it's taxing mentally, physically. And some of you have been on the set up and tear down crew and you can relate. It's hard but to receive these words of life at the end of service, it just is so encouraging and is reminding Pastor Kevin and myself why we do what we do. If you're gifted with the gift of encouragement, maybe you're just drawn to write kind words in, in cards. Maybe you're drawn to the person who's sitting alone and you see them in distress and you get to know them. You sit down with them and you, you get to know who they are. So we need the, the gift of encouragement because the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us in our faith. So the next gift that we find is similar to the gift of encouragement, but it's the gift of mercy. We see in Romans 12, having gifts that defer, let us use them. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So what does this look like? This is the ability to show love and acceptance when someone is expecting judgment or rejection. So one thing we need to say is that all Christians are to be merciful for the simple fact that God has shown us mercy at the cross. We see that in Ephesians 2. But here's the reality. While the commandment is that we are all to be merciful, some people are just better at it than others. 
And it's a, it's a reality. <clears throat> and it's because the Lord has gifted people specifically to show mercy. I think in part the people who do mercy very well are people who understand their own mercy that they've received through Christ. And so it's, it's just amazing just to sit back and to see people with the gift of mercy and how they interact. And two examples come to mind. Uh, one of the things that I love about volunteer coordinating is just sitting down with people, getting to know them, getting to see how the Lord has been working in their lives. But the one, one, one particular guy joined our, one of our serving teams on Sunday mornings, and he has a bit of a checkered past. But I loved his response when he said, how do we love people who are in distress? How do we care for them? I don't want to send them away. I want to welcome them in. I want to get to know them. I want to, <coughs> I want to love them. I want to walk alongside them. That is indicative of the gift of mercy. Second example of someone is just doing it right. This is a gal here at Restoration. I just love watching her from a distance just enter into people's lives, regardless of what it looks like, and just loves them and cares for them. The gift of mercy is a, is a challenging one just because you, are, you don't care what it looks like, what people are thinking. You care about the person that you are entering into. You love them. You care for them. You are meeting them exactly where they are at. And through that, you are displaying God's mercy on your life to them. But if you have the gift of mercy, you're able to weep with people who weep. You're able to mourn with people who who mourn. You not only seek out just broken lives in general, you seek out all people and you entrench yourself into the lives of others as you care for them, as you walk with them. On a Sunday morning, it may look like finding that person again who's alone and sitting down with them and just, let me hear your story. And it's it's giving them love, giving them acceptance. And a lot of times when we are broken ourselves, we feel like we're just, everyone is looking at us. We feel like we're going to be judged. We feel like we're going to be rejected. And it's that gift of mercy that sees us where we are and loves us. That's exactly what God did with us at the cross. And so this is the gift of mercy. Moving next, we find the gift of giving. Again, Romans 12. Having gifts that defer, let us use them. The one who contributes in generosity. So what does this one look like? This is the ability to share and give what God has given you. Very simple. And then this is another gift where the command is to be generous. We are told all throughout Scripture that we are to give everything away. <coughs> 1 John 3, 16 through 18 tells us that we love because Christ has shown us how to love through his sacrifice. But again, there are just some people who do it way better than others. And this is just indicative of the fact that God has gifted people to give. Sometimes we think that giving is monetary gifts only. We think that, okay, yeah, Uh, giving means I'm giving away finances. And there's a huge part to that that we can't neglect, but there's more to the gift of giving that is more than just finances. This is the kind of the indicative of a person who, who lives with open hands. They're basically saying that whatever God has given me, 
I am giving away. I'm giving to others for the enjoyment, for the benefit of others. And you are freely giving it away. It can be time. Time is a, is a resource. It's a commodity here in the U.S. It can be resources. It can be even skills. If I've been taught a certain skill and I've got the gift of giving, it means I'm teaching you that skill. Like I'm giving that to you to, for, your, for your enjoyment, for your um, building up. <clears throat> it can be a whole list of things, but basically you are living with this mindset that whatever God has given you, you are giving away. If it hasn't been nailed down, it's probably going to be given away. That is kind of what we see with the gift of giving. But if you, again, live uh, with, if you have this gift, you recognize that nothing is truly yours, that God has given you everything and that you are giving that away to others. It's a beautiful picture. And as you do this, as you live with open hands, you find that God somehow always manages to give you more so that you can give more away. And you just live with this idea that you can never outgive God. God just is always outgiving you in every area. And so, not only do you find this, like it's this weird competition between like how much can, how much can you give away that God won't give you back, but he does. He just is so faithful in that. But you also find that you just have enjoyment in just giving things away. And so similar to the gift of giving, we find the next just extremely useful gift in the church. And honestly, without this gift, nothing gets done. And this is the gift of giving. And so this, what we find here is uh, that 1 Corinthians 12 says, and God has appointed in the church helping. And so also in Romans 12, 6 through 7, having gifts that defer, let us use them if service in our serving. So this is probably one of the easiest to understand gifts, like, oh, serving? This just means, like, doing something? Um, but what it, does it look like? It just has this eagerness to meet practical needs. Not just a willingness, not this, not this, I'm willing to do this, but I want to do this. I want to do this because I know that there are practical needs. And so there is an infinite amount of applications for this gift because you can serve in any way. There are practical needs all across the board, not just on Sunday morning. Uh, this may look like moving people. This may look like just taking care of things, cleaning a house, just doing something. This is just the gift of serving. And honestly, a great example is uh, someone who has the gift of serving here in our church, and this is Johnny Holland. What you know is that we are set up in Teardown Church. The trailer rolls up at 8 o'clock, we unload all of the cases, put them in all of their areas, and then we set up children's ministry, worship ministry, and it's a task. It's a burden. <clears throat> but Johnny planted with Restoration over six years ago, and he's been here almost every week setting up, running sound, doing all sorts of things, and he's never been looking for recognition for himself, but he's been happy knowing that He's meeting a need. He's serving the body of restoration. And so we see the gift of serving is necessary just to make church happen. You can't have the gift of leadership and not get anything done without the gift of service. So the people with the gift of service just have this eagerness to jump into whatever needs to be done. 
It may mean serving on a setup and teardown team for a season. It may mean serving in children's ministry, in nursery. Like You can serve in any area. And you are doing this because there's a practical need to be met. And so again, the gift of service manifests in multiple ways, meeting multiple practical needs. So we're moving on to our next category of, of gifts, and this is the speaking gifts. And this is how the Holy Spirit uses a spoken word to pour out biblical truth and understanding of the gospel to a particular situation. That's a mouthful. But let me just say, if these gifts are not spoken or are communicated, they are not accomplishing what the Holy Spirit has intended. They are, the Holy Spirit is using our words to pour out these gifts. And so this includes the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, teaching, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And just because of sake of time, there are 22 gifts, and I don't have all the time in the world today, I cannot focus on all of the gifts. And you're going to find I'm going to exclude some in the next three categories. Pastor Kevin will touch on some of those next week, uh, but... I'd love to just have a conversation with you on all of them because they are all beneficial to the church. <clears throat> so the first two gifts, I'm, I'm again lumping them together, are knowledge and wisdom. And we see to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So what does the gift of knowledge look like? It's the ability to know and understand what Scripture says. Have you ever interacted with people who are just like, you open up the book of Leviticus and they can tell you not just what it is, but what it means. Like these people have this supernatural gift to explain the, the, the hardest parts of Scripture to understand and they point you not only to the meaning, but they point you to the gospel. Like these are the people who are who have the gift of knowledge. And so this doesn't mean that you're a walking, talking, dictionary, know-it-all, but that you have a deep understanding and appreciation for what Scripture is. So the next gift is wisdom, and what does that look like? It's the ability to know and understand. Oh, sorry, it's the ability to apply the truth of Scripture in all areas of life. So like knowledge, the gift starts with Scripture. If knowledge is knowing a bunch of stuff about Scripture, wisdom is knowing how to apply that to every area of life. And so we need to make some distinctions. As we talk about wisdom, we tend to think that wisdom comes through experience, and that's true, and that's worldly experience. For example, as you were young, you learned not to touch the fire because you knew it would burn your hand. That's, that's earthly, experiential wisdom, and that's good. That's valuable. We need that. But godly wisdom takes it a step further. And I'm going to make another distinction with godly wisdom, so, uh, or with, with the utterance of wisdom. But with godly wisdom, it's rooted in the idea of fearing and knowing the Lord. As we went through Proverbs last summer, I want to point you back to that sermon series where we defined godly wisdom, how to be wise. But the utterance of wisdom is a step even further. Because again, the gift is not for your benefit while you benefit, 
from this gift. This gift is for the benefit of others. And so we need people who have the gift of wisdom to speak wisdom into our lives, pointing us back to the gospel. Have you just ever had conversations with people and somehow, like whether it's talking about work, politics, family, um, any issues, they always seem to root it in the gospel. Like, like, yeah, well, this is how it applies to the gospel. Like, this is indicative of people who have the gift of wisdom that they can speak the truths of the gospel to any particular situation. But if you have the gift of knowledge, you may be marked by just this deep love for Scripture, knowing what it means. If you're interested in the original languages, it might be a case that you have the gift of knowledge. You know what it says. You understand what it says. Wisdom, if you have the gift of wisdom, you may find that people come to you on how to live wisely, on how to live the gospel out. You may find that, you, that people are flocked to you, that you are, are, are talking to people about how this works. But one of the things that may also be an indication of just the gift of wisdom is that you, the Holy Spirit, uses you to invoke a response of holiness and worship as you point people back to Christ. This is what wisdom is, is how wisdom is marked. The next gift is how the Holy Spirit speaks through the gift of teaching. And Ephesians 4 says that he gave teachers. There's a longer list there, but he gave teachers. And then 1 Corinthians 12, and God has appointed in the church third teachers. Romans 12, having gifts that defer, let us use them, the one who teaches in his teaching. God has raised up and gifted teachers for the body. What does this look like? If knowledge is the ability to know what Scripture says, teaching is the ability to clearly communicate the truths of Scripture to others. Do you see the difference there? And this is one of the most vital gifts for the church, not most important, but most vital. Through this gift, the church comes to grow in their knowledge of Christ. And what makes the gift of teaching different than natural teaching, because there's a, there's a distinction there, if you have the, uh, the natural ability to teach, you can teach almost anything. If you have the gift of teaching, you can teach the Bible, you can teach the gospel, you can teach people Christ. And so one of the in indications of this is you can teach people the Bible and you don't need a college degree to do it. Now let me just be very clear, I'm not anti-education because education can help us use this gift better but you don't need in college education, you don't need any education to teach people what the Bible says and, and teach it for, for, for living for today. But if you have this gift, you may find that you can teach the meaning of the Bible to anyone, whether they be three years old or 90 years old. There's no age difference on who you can teach, and this gift is needed for the simple reason that we need to know who Jesus is. We need to know what doctrine is. We need to know what to believe. And teachers are gifted in being able to teach us the truths of Scripture for all areas of life. <clears throat> and so you can have this gift and, and uh, live in multiple different areas. And so as you see people growing in their faith 
through your teaching, that may be an indication that you have the gift of teaching. The next gift on our list is the gift of prophecy. And we see in 1 Corinthians 14.1 uh, uh, that we should continue to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then we see earlier in Corinthians, to each is given the manifestation for the spirit for the common good, to another prophecy. And then Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So what does this one look like? It's the ability to speak truth into people's lives. When I was in a discipleship training school over almost 10 years ago, wow, time just flies by, I had two different teachers come through, two different pastors. One was teaching through the book of Hebrews, one was teaching through the book of Revelation. And I didn't know who these guys were before I was up at this, this school. And both of them, in, in combined weeks, again, didn't know each other, didn't interact with each other, in the middle of their lecture stopped, and they saw something in me that I couldn't even see in myself at that time. They both, in some ways, stopped their lecture, and they said, Jake, with your shepherd's heart, I see you in pastoral ministries. It was, what do I do with this? What they didn't know prior to me meeting them, the Lord had already began to call me to pastoral ministries. So their prophetic word was an affirmation of the calling that the Lord had already placed on my life. So I'm here in part because of those two men seeing something in me that I couldn't see in myself, and they boldly spoke that truth over my life. If you have the gift of prophecy, you may find, again, that ability to see into people's lives and see things that are hidden. Sometimes this may be hidden sin. Someone sees sin in your life and able to point it out directly. It may even be someone who is able to correct just um, some other things. It may also be someone just sees you where you're at and they just have a word of encouragement for you that is timely. Could also be that there's a, a, they, they're able to see your, your, a ministry calling or a ministry area that you can serve in that you may not be thinking about or may not even be uh, on your radar. But we see that the gift of prophecy is, is to boldly proclaim the truth of, uh, to, the, to, to, to proclaim truth over others. So our next gift, our next spoken gift, is the Holy Spirit uses in the church is discernment. So we need people with the gift of prophecy, and we need people with the gift of discernment. And so 1 Corinthians 12 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. So what does this one look like? Just very generally, it's the ability to clearly recognize character, conduct, and spiritual influence. And so, again, I'm going to bring my wife in, but when I was first married, I had this coworker who was um, just outgoing. He was a charismatic guy, great to be around, really likable, like made friends everywhere. But I couldn't really figure out why my wife wanted nothing to do with him. She didn't really know him very well, 
And anytime I was like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with this guy, she's like, uh, don't be out too late. And so just she had this, just couldn't understand why she didn't like him. I couldn't understand why she didn't like him. And so it was a little bit of a point of friction, but I had to side with my wife because I came home to my wife every night. So that was important. But what happened was over the course of time, he eventually got fired, and there was just some very destructive behavior in his character. Uh, he was, in a lot of ways, living a double life that only came out because he was fired, and it became clear that, again, earlier I said if your wife, or I said your wife is almost always right. This is a case where your wife should be right again. But my wife was certainly right in this and just pointing out his, his character. And so since I've learned to listen to her voice, listen, learned to listen to her discernment of, of people's character, not only do you, are you able to discern people's character with this gift, you're able to discern motivation. You're able to discern conduct. You can see how people are motivated. You can see how people work, how people think. But you also, more importantly, you have the ability to see the spiritual influence behind this conduct, behind this character. And you can see the Holy Spirit shows you that you have this spiritual ability to see where they're coming from. Are they preaching the gospel or are they preaching something else? As we have people with the gift of teaching, the person with the gift of discernment also knows, is this biblical? Is this gospel-centered? Is this right teaching? Is this right doctrine? So we need people with a gift of discernment, not just to know what's happening, but to keep the church from falling away, being led astray. We need people with the gift of discernment to not fall into bad teaching. Our third category of gifts is the gifts of manifest the manifestation gifts. And this is how God works through a believer in a given situation to demonstrate his supernatural power. And it includes faith, healing, and miracles. And so I'm just going to look at faith. Um, there's, there's a lot of good stuff here, and I'd love to talk to you later about some of these other ones. But we see in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To another, faith by the Spirit. <clears throat> so what is this gift look like in the church. And it's the ability to have complete confidence in the character of God. This is the gift of faith. And this isn't to be confused with saving faith, where we are saved into the family of God by putting our hope and our trust in Christ. We see that in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. The gift of faith, again, have the supernatural ability to have faith when all things seem in despair. Kind of a key figure of this is that we have some folks here at Restoration who keep our eyes heavenward. They keep our focus on God. They keep our hearts on God. That regardless of what is happening, that they can show us how God is working, how God is moving, not just in the present, but in all human history. I, I just, we, we, we need these people with the gift of faith. But what they're doing is they're constantly pushing us to dream big and to pray even bigger because God is a God who is not stifled. God is a God who is unstoppable and unmovable. 
And so if you have the gift of faith, you have this, not just belief, but this certainty that regardless how hard the situation is that you're facing or that someone else is facing, that God will always come through. You don't only believe that, but you also believe that God is sovereign, you believe that God is good, and that you believe and that you testify to the fact that God is in control of all things. So it produces kind of this inability to worry with this gift of faith at times. But here's a key. You expect God to move, and you're not surprised when he answers prayers. This is the gift of faith. The final category of gifts that we're going to be looking at is the foundational gifts, and it's how the Holy Spirit gives gifts that are foundational to the planting, to the growth, and to the establishment of his church. And this includes apostles, pastors, and evangelists. So the last gift that we're going to be looking at today is the gift of evangelism. And we see in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and he gave the evangelists to equip the saints for the work of of ministry. So what does this gift look like? This is the ability to clearly communicate the message of the gospel to non-believers. When I was at school, or sorry, while everyone is shared, or not just shared, while everyone is commanded to share their faith, to share the gospel, again, there are just some people who are just way better at it than others. And that's okay. The Holy Spirit gifts people specifically with this gift. When I was at school, one of my buddies uh, had the gift of evangelism, and he developed what he called the Walgreens method. He could open the door to, the con- the, the door to conversation of the gospel in only three questions. Seems a little bit far-fetched for some of you. The first question was, he would be walking on the street, he'd meet a random stranger, and he would ask, hey, where's the nearest Walgreens? Didn't matter what their answer was. Didn't matter if it was five miles or five blocks. He didn't care. Second question was, do you know how to get there? Again, didn't matter what the response was. This is the third question. As they are in the middle of pointing and saying, oh yeah, you just want to take this road and go up here and it'll be right there on your left. He would stop them and he would say, do you know how to get to heaven? And this, was, this is what he did, and this, he would stop and he would have fantastic conversations about the gospel with complete strangers as he is engaging with them, as he's getting to know them. And I'm sure some of you are looking at that and you are terrified, and that idea just gives you anxiety. And for some of you, that may excite you, like, how do I just like, share the gospel in three easy steps? And so if you're excited and you're thinking about who you can apply this method to, that may be an indication that you have the gift of evangelism. And so, again, these gifts are for the benefit and for the common good of the church. They are not for the benefit of us. But now that we've worked through just a majority of these gifts, how do we actually put them into practice in loving the family of God? Let's think back to all of the needs of our family service. Earlier, I was talking about all the logistics, figuring out all of these things, all of the organization. And if you are thinking about a particular way to meet those needs, that may be an indication of how God has gifted you. If you've been thinking about getting 
the supplies, the logistics, the setup, if you've been thinking about putting all the tables in all the right places, that may be an indication that you have the gift of leadership. If you've been thinking about, I just want to set up tables and chairs and call it good, you may have the gift of service. You just enjoy setting up those tables and chairs for people to use, and you're delighted in that you are meeting a need. If you were thinking about, how do I train people and lead people and show them how Jesus would set up tables and show them how they can be the best setter-upper that they can be, you may have the gift of leadership or the gift of, of, of teaching. If you're thinking about, oh man, there's so many needs for food and I'm thinking about all the food and all the things that I can supply and you just enjoy just bringing all that you can, that may be an indication that you have the gift of giving. If you see someone sitting alone at a table, someone who is clearly in distress, and you engage with them, and you sit with them, and you learn from them, and you speak words of encouragement to them, could mean that you've got the gift of mercy, could mean you've got the gift of encouragement, may also mean that you have the gift of prophecy. But if God has desired that these gifts are used and are meant for the common good of the church, it might just be that God wants us to discover what our gifts are in the context of the local church. See, if you don't know your gift, I just want to encourage you, the first thing you need to do is just seek godly counsel. As you are uh, working, uh, sitting and enjoying a meal this morning, Maybe just sit down and ask the people at your table, what giftings do you see in my life? Let it be a conversation around a meal. Don't let it be the only conversation, but let it be a conversation. And so what we, what we find is sometimes people who know us best can see gifts in us that we can't see for ourselves. So after God the counsel, just pray. Pray for the needs of the church. Pray that God would raise up laborers for those needs. Pray that God would, would use you in your gifts. And then after you do the first two steps, take a spiritual gifts inventory. There's nothing magical about these tests, and they can often give an idea of how we're gifted or discern how we're gifted. And so what we've done for you is we've supplied a test for you, and you can just simply go to www.restorationyakma.com dot com forward slash gifts. And there's a spiritual gift inventory. And I want to encourage you, take that. If you know what your gift is, still take it. It's always good to be affirmed in what your spiritual gift is. Uh, if you're not able to do it today, pull out your phones and just set a reminder to take it later this week when you know that you won't be as busy. Um, and then after you figure out what your gifts may be, man, what you see is that we are just commanded to do something. Use them. Utilize them. And so after you've taken the gift test, you can go to the other website below that and just find a way that you can get plugged in and, and hopefully finding a way that you can use your gifts. But ultimately, God has gifted us so that we can love others as he's loved us.